everybody. It's James. And Marco. And Abil. And this is the Movie Pals Podcast, podcast number 14. Today's pod is brought to you by Waterfront Comics, located at 609 Main Street, Sassoon City, California. Open every day from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. So if you're looking for a gift for an avid comic book reader or a collectible for a friend, come to Waterfront Comics. John is the guy to see. And if you can't come in person, no worries. Waterfront Comics does ship to home via their email, waterfrontcomics at gmail.com. And today we're going to be going over our top 10 movies of 2017, plus a, a couple honorable mentions here. We're also going to be going, uh, before that, what we're watching, a little mini review on the new David Ayer film, Bright, that is a Netflix exclusive, and then on to our top 10. So it's pretty direct today, because I know it's going to probably take a little bit of time with our list here. So let's get into it. Hey, what you watching? All right, so we're going to go over what we've been watching during this last few weeks, because I know it's been a while since you've heard from us. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that, by the way. It's been like three weeks. Yeah. One of us was kind of sick. <laughs> it was me. I was dying. We were worried for Nabil's safety, yeah. so we told him, please, rest up. And then, you know, his, he went on a tirade outside. His shirt was off. He was in the middle of the parking lot. I love the rain. I'm just absorbing the water. That's all. He's like, we couldn't the... stop him. It was he's just, like, it was like, just his ritual, man. He's like, you guys coming up for the pod? <laughs> <laughs> so here we are. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, with that said, Nabil, what have you been watching? Well, since I've been uh, home sick for a few weeks, uh, I've been able to watch quite a few things. Okay, good, because <laughs> we know you have a lot of making up to do. Yes. If it was a Russian fucking ballet again, <laughs> one more time, I was going to be like, all right, Nabil's skipping today. He just went down a rabbit hole and just saw nothing but Russian movies? No, no Russians this time. Pretty close. I've been watching uh, The Crown on Netflix. Um, I actually watched both uh, season one and season two. Nice. So, uh, and it's about early Queen Elizabeth and um, how she became queen and essentially all the kind of top news stories that happened are in, and the more insight on what the royal family was doing during that time. The first two seasons take place in the first 10 years of her reign. It's a very good show, very dramatic, and it's very British in the sense that <laughs> the biggest issues that they have is like, oh no, there's something that's going to be reported on the paper. We need to talk to that person before they ruin the crown's name. And it's like 30 minutes of just quiet pauses, looking at each other, you know, really concerning music. And you feel really <laughs> invested. And then you realize, wait a minute, nothing really just happened here. They were just all talking about nothing. You and, got me on the edge of my seat yeah, right now. Yeah, that's, as, as that's what speak. happens. This sounds boring as fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's very British. I enjoy it a lot, but um, it's definitely not for everyone. But um, no, I, I hear good things about it. I've heard uh, a couple of people tell me about it, saying that the performances are great and that the the story is like well well written. So that's kind of what captivates you into definitely. watching it. And somehow, like you can't help but keep watching the show. It's it's like like you said, like it's not that exciting. It's just very like droll, I guess. But for some reason, you're so in yeah. invested in it. For some reason, yeah, you just want to see what happens next. Um, yeah, so I was able to binge through the first uh, two seasons of that. So that was uh, very enjoyable for me. <laughs> um, I've also got a chance to see another Netflix show. Um, it's actually a, a documentary called Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond. It's about Jim Carrey's uh, portrayal of Andy Kaufman in, uh, from the movie uh, Man, Man in the Moon. Yeah. And it's essentially everything that happened behind the scenes. 
and Jim Carrey kind of being a very, very method actor um, and, and kind of feeling essentially that he's taken over, he's being taken over by Andy Kaufman and he essentially is that character for the entire film. It, it was very funny and also very dark. <laughs> Jim Carrey it was very serious in that role, and you could tell that he took that very seriously and meant a lot to him to play Andy Kaufman. Yeah, because that was one of his, uh, like, uh, one, one of his idols growing up. Like, yeah. that's one of the reasons that he became, like, a comic actor is because he, like, looked up to Andy Kaufman. Exactly. And um, it... it you could tell that it really moved him being in that, and he felt that the project went well. Um, I thought the I, I, I did see Man in the Moon. I don't have you guys seen that film? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. It's uh, that's really a really good. good one. Yeah, it's it is a really good film, and he that did, was, he did that really was sort of when and sorry to interrupt, but that was sort of when Jim Carrey was starting to transition into more kind of serious roles too. Right. Yeah. So it was kind of like a big deal. I think he won a Golden Globe for that, did he not? I do not know that. Yeah, I believe he won a Golden Globe, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong on the comments. But um, it was a it was a very good documentary to see kind of everybody's reaction to on the set um, and what they were thinking of as they were having to deal with Andy Kaufman or the embodiment of him through Jim Carrey. Um, and I did see a few other things, but one other last thing I wanted to mention was I've been watching a lot of Bob's Burgers. Now I never really watched Bob's Burgers. Um, I've seen a few episodes here and there. I've I've recently you know trying to put thinking of putting something in the background on TV and I yeah. put them Bob's Burgers and find myself sitting down for like an hour and a half watching three episodes or so of it. That show is hilarious. Really? They're, yeah, it's just three. It's just a family that owns a restaurant, a burger joint, and trying to get by every day. And the kids are funny. the The parents have good dialogue back and forth. It's just a. It's got the same. Uh, the The guy who plays Bob is the same guy who plays. Um, Archer, Archer. Archer series. Yeah, that's that was my one caveat with the with the show is I started to watch it, but it's so hard to hear that get that voice and not picture Archer. And I know that's like a dumb bias to have. He's got a very recognizable but, voice. Yeah, but for some reason, like because the first time I ever really heard him was on in Archer, and like it's such a distinctive voice. It's I can't. Like my 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 brain can't disassociate that and be like, okay, he's another character in the show. I don't know. That's it's stupid. I know, but maybe I'll give the show another shot. And, and Bob is really funny, but he's not even like the funniest part. Like the kids are hilarious. Uh, the, the, it's just very real. Yeah. Like the the uh, the antics that they get up to um, and the things they do. Like there's an episode recently I saw where the kids wanted to go. Um, were, were playing this game pranks against each other. And so they would like put like jelly on the telephone. So when you answer the phone, you'd have jelly in your ear. And then eventually, somehow, <laughs> they put somebody put uh, uh, glue on the toilet seat. And somehow, the dad got stuck on the toilet seat. And it was and he and eventually, the whole neighborhood found out. And they were all watching him as he was trying to get off this toilet seat. And it's just hilarious. And the kids wouldn't own up to it. It's like it's not really my fault, but we'll try to help you. You know, it's fine. You know, <laughs> as he's suffering stuff. here. Yeah. Um, and this we're very like mature that. on this part. <laughs> uh, so yeah. definitely, uh, if you've never seen it um, or haven't seen many episodes, I definitely recommend watching it. Um, and um, most of the episodes, uh, the episodes I were watching were on, on Hulu, and I think the entire current season and previous seasons are all on there as well. James, what about you? What have you been watching? I um, I saw a lot of movies actually, so that's what I saw. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that's the end of the episode, guys. Sorry. Um, Man, it's, it, we've had three weeks here, basically, so 
I I, I yeah. limited it down to three movies. I saw way more than that, but um, the three that I remember the most, um, I saw the Florida Project that is directed by Sean Baker. He made um, I don't know if you guys saw that movie Tangerine. No, shot it on no. an iPhone back in 2015. It had. Some indie praise, I guess. But um, this movie, though, is about a little girl. Her name is Mooney, played by Brooklyn Prince, little girl. She lives in Florida. Uh, it's in a hotel really close to, like, Disney World, along with, that? like, her mom, who's kind of like a... It's hard to explain <laughs> without, <laughs> without ruining the fucking movie. Was but, it completely shot on iPad this time? No, it was shot. Uh, I don't know, actually. No, <laughs> it was shot uh, normal. One scene is shot with the iPhone, but it's almost like a throwback to Tangerine. Oh, sweet. Um, so basically, she lives with her mom in this like hotel, which is like an extended stay, but like they're really poor, and it's uh, run by a manager named Bobby, played by Willem Dafoe. And basically, the movie is about a kid's perspective of going through, like, really shitty moments in life, basically, and how kids deal with things. And I think in that aspect, the movie's really good because it shows that kids don't exactly know exactly what's going on, but they, in a way, they do. It's, yeah. It's, it's like they interpret it different. Because yeah, they their, interpret it. Their every, minds are still developing. Everything, right? everything is interpreted differently. So, for instance, the whole movie is strange because they live so close to disney world that they always run into like wealthier people all the time Mm -hmm. and tourists and um it shows like how hard it is for someone to live in in an area like that and not be able to go to places like that and about the friendships you make but um overall like the irony of it all because like people fly to go there and yet they're like right next door and can't even like walk yeah can't even afford it yeah um, I really liked Willem Dafoe's character, the manager of the hotel. He nice. takes on kind of like a father role because the parents for these kids seem to never fucking be around. Because wow. they're all, you know, <laughs> there's a reason they're here, you know. <laughs> but it, it, I liked it a lot. His role was really warm and it's one of the, it's, you know, because he always plays a fucking weird guy in yeah. all these movies. And he always <laughs> does, true. man. He does. He's always fucking weird. And this one, he's like super, he's not exactly nice, but he's. He's like that guy with a, a heart of gold that like doesn't like to show it, but he's actually looking out for the kids and shit all the time. So I really like that part. I also saw a comedy called The Little Hours, directed by Jeff Bina. It stars Alison Brie, Dave Franco, Aubrey Plaza, and John C. Riley. Good cast. Yeah, it, it's absolutely uh, bonkers too about what it's about. <laughs> so Dave Franco plays this. It takes place in like the 1800s, like way back in the day. Wow. And uh, he stars with this guy. He's a guy named Maceto, and he sleeps with the the lord that he works for, his wife. So he's on the run. Then he runs into John C. Riley, who's a priest at a uh, a convent with all these nuns and stuff. And basically, John C. Riley says he can come and join them, but he has to act like he can't speak or what? hear. He has to be. Oh wow! He has to act like he he's mute and deaf on top of that. Because the three main nuns that uh, live at the convent have thrown out every other like guy that's been like the handyman or whatever around the place. Oh wow! It sounds like stupid, right? But it's actually it's super funny. <laughs> They're fucking. It's rated R to the max, like. And then slowly but surely, everybody starts like hitting on Maceto, basically. And it's strange because they all like give in to like their desires, and then. But they're all nuns. Yeah, they're all nuns, <laughs> and they they think he can't hear. 
or speak, but he can, and it's just like he's like, huh? And he's just doing like hand motions. <laughs> and shit. It's it's really funny. I can see why they throw in every handyman out then. Yeah. <laughs> Temptation. Yeah. So that was it's the little hours. I rented that one on iTunes. It was like ninety nine cents or something. It was actually pretty funny. Oh, cool. I'll have to check it out. And the last movie I saw was another indie film here, uh, Call Me By Your Name, directed by Luca Guadagnino. Stars Army Hammer as Oliver and Timothy Chalamet as a young kid named Elio. So this one, I like this one a lot. This actually almost made my top 10. So spoiler, it's not on there. But it almost did. <laughs> it takes place in 1983 in uh, northern Italy. Elio is a 17-year-old kid. So I think it's okay back then, I guess. I don't know. So and he falls, a different country, different yeah. laws. I he guess. falls in love basically with his um, dad's new assistant, who's Oliver Army Hammer's character. So basically, the film is about them kind of coming out to each other in a way. Mm-hmm. During this, it just takes place during one summer, and it's actually really like it's a beautiful movie, man. It's like a romance, but it's also done in a way that is unique and I think relatable that most people can say that they've maybe been through. Yeah, I hear good things about the movie. Yeah, it's extremely well acted. I really liked uh, the main two leads. And um, I think the last 10 minutes of the movie are like super heartbreaking. There's some shit that goes down. It's just like, man, this is rough. Damn. But yeah, that's uh, basically what I've been watching for the most part. Right on. Well, uh, I know we've had a few weeks here to watch some things here and there, but... um, I haven't really seen that much, uh, so I'll just go with the top three what? that I come mean, to mind. I know. The tables have turned. I know. And Bill and I have uh, switched roles here. But, uh, He's like, I saw a movie about Anastasia, though. Yeah. <laughs> I think Bill could relate to that. No, uh, I saw All the Money in the World, uh, which is a crime thriller directed by Ridley Scott. Saw that one with James, actually. Yeah. Um, and it stars uh, Christopher Plummer. Well, it used to star someone else. <laughs> he who shall not be named. Uh, Michelle Williams, Mark Wahlberg, and Charlie Shotwell. Basically, the movie uh, takes place in the 1970s and is about the kidnapping of John Paul Getty's grandson. John Paul Getty refusing to pay the kidnappers uh, the $17 million that they asked for. Meanwhile, uh, the grandson's mother, played by uh, Michelle Williams, uh, Gail Harris is struggling to convince John Paul Getty to pay the ransom or at least a portion of it. Um, it also stars uh, Mark Wahlberg as Fletcher Chase, an ex-CIA operative who works for Getty, who's kind of like in between negotiating for all parties. But um, it's it's a thrilling movie despite uh, knowing the outcome, especially if you've read the story of what happens throughout the, the kidnapping. Um, but I thought it was well-acted. The performances are great. Um, there's not a lot of action. Probably only one real like gruesome moment in in the movie that I won't spoil or anything. But if you've read the story, you already know what it is. Uh, but uh, overall, like especially after experiencing difficulties during the making or at least the post production of the film, I thought that it was just well made. I really enjoyed it. And uh, man, Christopher Plummer coming in and doing all his parts in um nine to ten days i thought was just man he's his character his character himself is super relentless and i really liked his portrayal of him sam um i would say even though the movie's i think it's almost two and a half hours long the pacing though even though there are only like really 
one or two action sequences per se. The pacing of the film is really well done. I gotta give props to Ridley Scott for shooting two movies in like a year. Yeah, he did Alien Covenant and this, and this is much better. Two very different <laughs> movies as well. Yeah, yeah. This is like that, Jesus yeah. Christ. Um, well, it kind of helps when the story's already been written for you. Right. It, yeah, adaptation though it can go any way, but yeah. technically Alien's been written for him too in a way. But yeah. well, yeah, true. But yeah, I uh, I really liked it too. I thought it was well acted. I only can imagine what Kevin Spacey would have been like in this film, but I thought Christopher Plummer uh, he nailed it. So yeah, it. Fun, fun fact. Actually, they didn't delete all the footage with Spacey in it because there are some long shots that they just couldn't fit into scheduling that are yeah. still Kevin Spacey in the movie. But overall, Christopher Plummer, Christopher Plummer uh, nailed it. Michelle Williams great. Mark Wahlberg was awesome, and yeah, uh, he was really good actually. Yeah, I liked, I liked him. In this. I liked his role too. The uh, the young actor playing John Paul Getty the third the grandson uh, Charlie Shotwell I thought he did a great performance too I, I agree too especially and, all of his scenes while captive yeah I really like those too those are really good absolutely I highly recommend it uh, even if you're not into kind of slow paced movies I've, like James said I feel like the story carries everything really really well so check it out um, I also saw uh, Molly's Game starring Jessica Chastain and Idris Elba. And if you're not uh, familiar with the story, it's pretty much the true story of Molly Bloom, the young Olympic skier who also ran the world's most exclusive high stakes poker game, underground poker game, poker game in L.A. and New York for over 10 years up until she was arrested by the FBI in 2013. But um, she was infamous for having some of Hollywood's elite included in her games, uh, as well as like top businessmen and even uh, still, I guess, I don't know if it's con- like confirmed or not, but the Russian mob as well. So yeah. good watch. Uh, Chastain nails her fucking role. Uh, she's actually like one of my favorite actresses. I try to watch like as many movies with her in it, but um, she really did a great job. I just really liked her performance and i think idris alba also was a great supporting role and he has probably one of the best like monologues towards the end of the movie he does that i've seen in a while it was yeah. extremely riveting and powerful and i was like wow good on you idris alba i also saw black mirror season four nice which is uh just came out on netflix just a couple of weeks ago but if you're not familiar it's a uh British sci-fi anthology that incorporates a bunch of stories where depressing uh, as fuck. Yeah, mm-hmm. a bunch of weird shit yes. happens basically, and um, the future. Most of the time, you they kind of like uh, keep it uh, sort of like secret as far as like what's going on. They very cryptic as far as what's going on in the world. But um, season four really wasn't like that. It was I don't know, kind of I subpar. Would... I was a bit I was a bit disappointed and underwhelmed by the season to be I'd say to be fair. It, like the sh- the show in general is kind of like a twilight zone feel to the entire yeah. thing with technology as the center point of like everyone's downfall in a way downfall or the center of whatever's going on but um I also binge watched some black mirror too I just caught up to season 4 so I'm only on episode 3 right now but you uh, you saw all of season three, right? Yeah. I see, I see. Okay, season three is probably like my favorite, next to season one. Like, just it's, it noticed, was really good overall. Yeah. There's just a lot of social, a lot of good social commentary in in season three. It was cunning, it was riveting. Season four kind of falls short of that in a few episodes. I I gotta say, like, 
I probably out of the six there each season's only six episodes long. I liked maybe three or four out of the six. Um, Still a majority. Yeah. Or over half, or at half, I guess. Yeah, but compared to me completely enjoying all of season three, I thought every single episode was so good in that. I There's like not one episode where I was like, mm, can this kind of move along? But uh, season four, I felt kind of like fell short of that. S- some great moments in it still, don't get me wrong. I still like the show, but I just didn't think season four was as powerful as season three, or as impactful, so to speak. All right. Uh, we're going to move on to our mini-review of the new film, Bright. Mini-review, 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 mini-review. Okay, you guys, so Bright is a Netflix-exclusive film. It is directed by David Ayer, who uh, did End of Watch in 2012, Sabotage in 2014, Suicide Squad in 2016. Uh, it stars Will Smith as Daryl Ward. Joel, uh, Joel Edgerton as Nick Jacoby, Numi Rapace as Layla, I guess, and then a couple other people. Uh, let's just start with uh, Nabil. What did you think about Bright? It's very uh, Will Smith, the movie. Um, it's kind of been <laughs> what he's been doing as far as his, not his drama. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. It's kind of, he's gotten older. He's He's playing the snarky trying to be charismatic but also like a smart aleck guy and i don't know if i really liked it in this film because um i liked i'll tell you this i like what i liked about it was the visual effects they did pretty good especially for a 90 million dollar netflix film that's um, really expensive yeah it's really good um i thought for what i saw there <laughs> yeah it, it um, should look good yeah so the effects are great i think um that the idea of the lore of how you have orcs and fairies and whatever is integrated is a very interesting concept but i i feel that there's a lot more to be wanting and i I didn't like how will smith was in that he just the whole thing was a lot of social commentary on generally what racism um in in this case with orcs and everybody else humans i thought george joel uh edgerton did great um for first character i mean the acting was good um did we see different mm, movies again yeah i think his his acting was good um for what the Uh, character is trying to play cool but um yeah i think that the lore that they gave us they didn't give us anything of the lore like i don't understand they kind of hint at certain things about the wands but then you don't know anything Uh, about the wands they they jump right into a lot of terms and aspects in this film that they almost i felt i was like are we supposed to have known what this was about ahead of time because mm-hmm. they jump right into a ton of these things and it's like yeah it's already like okay. a pre-existing universe that you know nothing they drop about. you in the it's like dropping you into the third lord of the rings film is like good luck figure out the yeah, story exactly uh, yeah i agree that's a really good analogy so okay so marco what did you think then uh well first off just want to give a shout out to uh one of our listeners scott reynolds for recommending this one for review just to let you all know, we do listen to our audience when you guys chime in, so yes, please do. keep doing so. If you guys have any recommendations, just let us know, and we'll take a listen. Uh, that being said, I didn't like this movie at all. Not at all. Uh, it was oh, fuck. It was super cheesy. In many of the scenes, it was very cheesy and kind of like, man, hard to watch. Uh, a lot of the acting felt like the lines were phoned in. Like, I've seen better acting in those sci-fi B-movies that they show. <laughs> the plot was convoluted as well, too. It's like yeah. what James was saying. Like, it's it's got uh, already, like, a like a built-in, like, universe that you know nothing about. And you 
they do a horrible job at explaining it. Um, they just do little bits and pieces here where you understand that this is a world where magic is real, where there are orcs, elves, like fairies. Apparently. You know what though? At least we got a sequel coming out. Maybe they will just yeah. patch oh, up. I'm God, sure no, dude, this movie does not deserve a sequel. I think that this this movie would have been better uh, as a TV show, kind of drawn out into like ten episodes that lets you like kind of discover more of the story. It just felt like they were rushing to kind of like give you small details here and there, a quick history, and that's about it. But you don't have a full understanding because there's so much else going on, and there's this like stupid subplot about police corruption going on in the background that you just don't give a shit about. And like yeah. I just I couldn't get into it. Uh, the the themes that were introduced were appreciated, but were brought down by the poor performances of the actors. Um, it was, yeah, it was just like a big hot mess in my opinion. Yeah, I didn't I didn't like Will Smith or Joel Edgerton's characters at all. I don't feel like there's any growth at all in these characters. They're the same people they are in the beginning of the film. I don't feel like they're any fucking friendlier to each other than they. Oh no, yeah, there's definitely no growth between yep. the characters. I don't. I didn't like that Will Smith was such a dick in this movie. He too. was. He's he was a very a unlikable character. Talk he, about Tom Cruise being a shithead in the Mummy. Will Smith is a shithead in Bright. And and what's funny is that Will Smith is trying to play on both sides. He's like, oh well, I kind of care about the guy, but I really don't then, care about the guy. Yeah, but you then know? there's. Scenes like, where he flips the yeah, fucking yeah. villain, then he's like, "Never mind, I want to just not." Yeah, have this guy like I think it was, it was supposed to be like an inner conflict with him, where he's like teeter tottering <laughs> on like one side whether right. to protect. Was it the orcs or not? It's, right. That's what it was supposed to be, but, but it, it wasn't. Was it didn't come so bad because I I would I found myself just being annoying, just be like, "Dude, just choose a fucking stance. I don't give a shit what it is." Like either either you're against this shit or you're for it, one or the other. And not to mention, like by the time. You get to any like the real plot point of the film. There's already been like three subplots going on, and then they introduce a bad guy that's a very weak bad guy. Well, you know what though? They do a good job of showing uh, Naomi Rapace uh, or Rapace as a uh, very evil in the beginning. Throughout the whole thing, like you don't mess with her; she's gonna kill people. I thought she was terrible. But what the problem is, I think, is at they the very end. They didn't fall through with it. What happens at the end is like. Oh, okay. So that's all it took, you know, to, to yeah. kind of like stop this from happening. Agreed. So and then that, the elf they find Tika, played yeah, by Lucy I, Fry. I, I, I don't like, know what value who? she really brought. Was she? Like, even, why was she there until the end? She was served no purpose, and they didn't really create a bond with each other. So oh, yeah. Was, so we're not we're not spoiling yeah. anything on this movie, by the way. Uh, honestly, I didn't. Uh, I didn't even know what the fuck her name was. I only <laughs> know because IMDb like, told me. Yeah, I was like, I just called her like yeah. elf magic lady, whatever she was, and apparently she ended up being a, a bright which i don't they don't really explain what a bright is like what they they just they treat them it's just the people that can use the wand yeah but like you I guess are I there know. good brights and bad brights or are they all bad brights why are they called the brights? You have? yeah I'm yeah because the, the wand lights up when you touch it i don't <laughs> all right anyway last thoughts here for our mini review nabil so would i did you recommend this would you recommend it to anyone then i for um I'd say I'd say it's worth a rent to watch. I guess sorry on Netflix, so I say it's worth a watch. But don't go in thinking it's going to be some great uh, Will Smith film or something like that. Um, I, it's 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 nothing memorable to be honest. Um, maybe they'll do better in the sequel. And Marco, what, uh, would you recommend this one to anyone? I can't recommend this movie to anybody. Cool. I really can't. <laughs> I feel like I'd be like doing the, I'd do doing them doing the disservice. <laughs> 
Uh, I wouldn't recommend this to anyone either. Um, I think just clicking on this throws off Netflix. They think you fucking like it now. It had 11 million views. Only way I'd say to watch this is you buy a used Blu-ray copy. Because if it's used, they don't know that you bought it. So yes. do that or borrow it from a friend or some shit. But do not click on this. But fuck it. It's already getting a sequel, so we already oh, fucked up. Right, if, you do, or if you do like it and watch it, just hit the thumbs down button. Let's not, on oh, I, I did. but Yeah, so did I. I guarantee they're like, well, well, let's struggle to do a sequel. Maybe they'll like it this time. Um, yeah, so that's our mini review of Bright. And moving on to our topic of the year. Now, this is our top 10 films of 2017, plus uh, two honorable mentions each. Dun, dun, dun. So, guys, what did you think of 2017 as a whole with film what what were your expectations or what did you think of the films overall starting with marco overall there were maybe like a handful or less than a handful of a few disappointments over the year but uh i i enjoyed it i saw a lot of good films over the year I, in fact it, i found myself um kind of struggling to make my top 10 list because there were Same. there were a few that i really wanted in there but had to think about it. I mean, I know we had like three weeks to come up with this list. Like, I was still up like last night and this morning, like, I just had like tinkering top, with it. I had like a top 40, and I was like, okay, got to yeah. get rid of 30 of these now. <laughs> yeah. Um, overall, I think it was a good year of films, man. Again, you know, there were, there were some duds. There were some disappointments. But all in all, there were a lot of quality films, especially if you're like, you're really looking for it and really seeing like what's out there and what, like, other choices you have than the big blockbusters, like you'll see that there's still a lot of quality films available for people to watch. So I I really enjoyed this year of films, especially going out a few times with you guys and um, sharing these experiences with friends um, made it that much more worth it. So that's my take on it. Put your pants back on. Oh, oh shit. I'm sorry. I forgot we're live. Nabo, what did you think about 2017 overall? You know, I think that the year was um, kind of... It it was the year of not the blockbuster. There were there were some good blockbuster films, definitely. You know, you had films like Wonder Woman, you had Thor, you had the Star Wars that everybody here doesn't really like, except for me, apparently. That's Star uh, War. But it wasn't like the, the blockbusters to me, for the most part, not all of them were very memorable. You know, they weren't like, oh, I can't wait for the next one kind of thing. It was like, oh, that was okay. You know, good for what I got to see. But there was a Did lot of original the stories. There was a lot of original <laughs> stories um, this year. A lot of independent films, a lot of um, kind of smaller movies that came out that were really worth watching. It was really entertaining. And I think that's what I, I took away from from this year is that there was a lot of kind of just Good, solid, original films. Fuck the bill. I get it. I should have seen Lady Bird. I know. <laughs> it, I wanted to see it. It's a good movie. Um, I think it was a good year, too. Um, I kind of disagree. I think there was a ton of blockbusters again still. Summertime was pretty shitty, though. But Star Wars made up for it at the end, I guess. But um, this is the year <laughs> that I didn't like a Star Wars film for the first time in 29 years. Um, I'll always remember that. So bitter. So bitter. So salty. Um, my biggest thing in 2017 is that we started our podcast, and I got to hang out with two of my best buds every two weeks and talk about movies. That's one of the nicest things that every two weeks I look forward to. So hopefully it keeps moving on to 2018. But, so um, much love. I know, right? Um, directors got fired from plenty of movies this year. That was fucking weird, right? 
Solo, Bohemian Rhapsody, probably a couple more that we don't know yeah. about. Overall, though, that's one of the bigger things, I think, that happened near the tail end here. And then um, overall, though, pretty solid films. I, I agree with Nabil, though, that there was a lot. I liked a lot of, a lot of the original films. I think most of the top 10 on my list, probably 8 out of 10, are all not actually sequels. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, um, fuck. I got quite a few sequels on mine. So. <laughs> Whoops. But, uh, hey, everybody <laughs> chooses them differently. But overall, though. I uh, I enjoyed it still, and um, I'm looking forward to 2018. There's plenty of uh, movies I'm looking forward to, too. Same. Um, so before we start, our format, by the way, is slightly different. It's not, here's my 10, here's my 10, here's my 10. It is, if you have something listed higher, we wait until the highest, or by which I mean the lowest numbers. So for instance, if I have something at 10, but Nabil has it at number 2, we're going to wait till number two to discuss it. So we all discuss the film as a whole. We're going to put him on park. Yeah, basically. And then he's going to speak. A little pause button. Turn. Yeah. And, and then Nabil can explain why he put it at two, and I can explain why I put it at ten. Yeah. And uh, it just flows better. I took it off of the Slash Filmcast podcast 2017 um, uh, year review as well, and it just flows Good better. Good idea. Yeah. Because if not, we're just talking... We're going to talk about a movie three different times at certain points. Like, shit, we already heard this. We figured we're going to give you a third episode with a long-ass fucking list. <laughs> we might as well make it more interesting. Exactly. Um, and as a, as you guys know, we don't get paid to do this, so we didn't see every film that came out this year. Though, so. if anyone wants to pay us, that'd be great. I know. I would, I'd look at it, too. Movie Pass. Movie Pass. <laughs> Please. By the way, did we mention that Movie Pass is actually really cool? We just want to say that. So. One last time. Uh, what are the movies you guys didn't see that you wanted, that you're sad you didn't get to see that um, may or may not have been on your top 10? What about you? Start with you, Nabil. Um, well, I mean, you guys have already seen Molly's Game. That's one. That's a film I actually really want to see. Um, and I hope to see it hopefully in a couple of weeks because I'm a big Aaron Sorkin fan. Um, and, You'll like it. Yeah, I think uh, I, I will like that film. So there's definitely that. Um, um, and honestly, and I don't know if I should feel ashamed <laughs> to say this, but because I've invested no so much time in, any, in all these other freaking films, um, I really wanted to see uh, Transformers the last night. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because I, I've seen them all. I take that back. Anthony Hopkins decided to do it, right? So it's got to be something redeeming about oh, that film. Oh, man. It's not as bad as you think. Yeah. See? Yeah, I know. According to James, it's actually so, not bad. I really do kind of want you know to see what, that. Direct, direct quote from the James. The whole thing is you know what you're getting you right. you know what you're oh, getting I know. yourself into. I know. Just like I didn't see fucking Baywatch, but I'm like, I'll catch it eventually. Yeah. So I'll, 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 hopefully it comes on HBO or something soon. Like It'll be on Netflix soon, man. It probably Just will wait be. a little yeah. bit. Yeah. That's oh. it? Those only two? I mean, everything else is Oscar films. I'm going to see them. There's The Post um, that I'm, I'm planning to see soon and Phantom Thread. I really want to see, and that should be coming out soon as well. But yeah, really, the, I don't feel like I've missed much of anything else that I really wanted to see I've seen. Uh, what about you, Marco? Um, I wish uh, I would have seen um, a real Star Wars film this year. <laughs> Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> a lot of us. That's James. That's James's <laughs> life right now. <laughs> no. Um, Although I've gotten a lot of shit from viewers, by the way. <laughs> Dude, everybody Thanks has. Thanks, everybody that's directly messaged me. That doesn't seem threatening at all. Hey, I'm just glad a, you listened to the pod. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, hey, now they know how I felt with Rogue One. But anyway, I uh, Lady Bird is definitely one that I wanted to see that I like feel bad that I miss. I will eventually see it, but it's it's one that um I feel bad I didn't get to see and um find out if I could include it in my top 10 or not. From what it's from what has been told, 
to me. I feel like it's a film that I most likely would have included in my list. Three billboards outside of uh, Ebbing, Missouri. Ebbing, Missouri. Yeah, that's also another one that I saw the trailer and I was thinking, man, I really want to see that movie. Saw the Golden Globes and saw that um, it was nominated. I didn't see if it was uh, if it won or not. But it swept pretty much. Damn. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, no, yeah, so no now I enough. really regret no not seeing that movie. So, and uh, last but not least, um, Mother, because I really wanted to see that Aronofsky film in theaters again. Yeah, well, Mother's an interesting one, man. Yeah, especially because of the the mixed reviews that I kept hearing. For some reason, that draws me to want to see movie and make my own opinion. I'm like, I got to yeah. see this. I got to oh, see what sense. the divide is. And it... From the trailers, I definitely wanted to see it. Natalie Portman. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, not Natalie Portman. I'm thinking. <laughs> oh my god. Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, I'm thinking of the wrong movie. Uh, Jennifer Black Lawrence and um, Black Swan. Yeah, I was thinking <laughs> Black Swan. Jennifer Lawrence and uh, Bardem are really like great actors, and yeah. I felt that they would make a great dynamic in a movie. So that's one of the things that I regret not seeing. I'm sure there's like a handful of other movies that I wanted to see. Um, but that, those are the first three that come to mind. Nice. Uh, mine are going to be uh, The Post, which I'm gonna, actually going to see this week with you guys. Oh, uh, same. Phantom Thread, because I really like uh, Dan Day-Lewis, and I think Paul Thomas Anderson is arguably one of the best directors of our time right now, too. So I always look forward to those kind of films. Um, I didn't see The Big Sick, which I really wanted to watch. Oh, I thought you'd oh, seen that. Oh, yeah. No. It's been on my queue. It just sucks when movies go on like the where you can uh, watch them right easily. So I'm always like, oh, I'll just get to it eventually. And those tend to go to the wayside for me. Yeah, yeah. So yikes. Also, uh, Mudbound, same one on uh, Netflix. I want to watch that too. I've heard really good things. Uh, Lost City of Z, which is on Amazon Prime as well. The one with um, James Unnan. Yeah, as well. I really want to watch that. I've heard good things about it. And then um, I didn't catch a ghost story with Casey Affleck. Oh, yes. yeah. That's definitely I one that. I wanted to I, see, too. We even I, talked about that. Yeah, yeah. I just bought it, though. So I have it. I own the movie. I just you have no excuse now. seen it, though. <laughs> no Dude, fucking excuse. When you see 12 movies in three weeks, it's it's rough. So Yeah. I literally Can't saw like 12, 13 movies. So. And, um, yeah, those are the, the main ones that I, I wish I had gotten to because... I don't know if it would have swayed my votes or anything, but I know especially maybe like Phantom Thread or Big Sick might have been on there, but hey, it happens. Okay, guys, so when choosing your 10 films plus your honorable mention, what did you guys use? Like, how does a movie make your list, basically? Explain it to our viewers so they know why you chose these kind of films. I know other than we're going to go obviously into more in depth on why, but how does a film make your list, Nabil? Well, for me, um, my list really was based off of what I remembered. You know, like, it wasn't memorable. Did, did I sit down and think about it? Um, did, how did I feel when I watched it? Did it mm-hmm. Was I excited? Was I, um, did I laugh? Uh, did I get lost into the film? Or did I leave the theater feeling like, okay, cool, I saw that movie. Let me move on, you know? So I, I wanted something that gave me kind of a lasting impression. And um, some, some of the films I came back and revisited and, you know, not even seeing it and remembering things vividly like, oh, my gosh, I can't, you know, why did that happen? Or what was going on here? So it's it's about how, how, um, how it left me feeling during and after the film. Nice. And uh, what about you, Marco? 
Uh, I agree with uh, what Nabil said. Um, a lot of it has to do with uh, the impact the movie has when I watch it, uh, as well as anticipation versus expectation. So how I feel going into the movie as well as how I feel coming out of the theater or uh, when I'm done watching it on, on Blu-ray or streaming. Um, but um, also how long the movie stays with me after viewing it uh, days weeks months after thinking back on how i felt at the time when i saw it too if that still brings back that feeling inside me and also the like, the execution of the movie of how it was filmed uh the performances the the story as as well as the deviations from from the norm um does does this does this movie deviate away from basic you know tropes in a movie whether it be like a just like a linear storyline or did they throw in a, a, a love story in there just because like you know a story has to have a love story it doesn't always have to have a love story sometimes like I've seen great movies that that don't and I've, a couple of them made it onto my list because of that but uh, very, very much just how much of an emotional connection I have with the movie because I feel like that that he's a, a better and bigger impact than you know not having that connection at all what about you james um for me it's more of on an emotional level so as you guys know I, I i see i watch a lot of movies i guess my girlfriend hates it but um a movie has to move me in some kind of way either yeah. like i can relate to it somehow it puts some kind of sense of dread in me or some kind of um I don't know. Sometimes the movies that make me sad are the ones that I like the most, which is weird. No, I'm the same way. What a depressing boy. <laughs> it's um, got to be a journey, right? Yeah, it's got to be an experience. I like unique films, films that do something different, something that's not something I've seen. So that's why on my list, I don't have every film that I thought was super, super great because I had to get it down because at the end of the day, I, I, I saw my list and I was like, okay, so it's going to be between the... Sometimes it's like between these two films, which one did I like? Which one would I watch... 10 times more than the other one kind of yeah. thing. Uh, I'll also mention that most of my 10 through two could probably get mixed around on any given day. And even some of my honorable mentions could be thrown in there. Um, I think just most importantly is our number one, truthfully, that's like our top of the mountain. But um, outside of that, I just, uh, I have some pretty, I think we all three looking at our list here. We all have some pretty unique ones. So without further ado, then let's do our, the movie pals podcast top 10 films of 2017 all right nabil so start us out here what is your number 10 my number 10 is uh it comes at night it was starring uh, joel edgerton actually um and it's basically there some we don't know what time it is slightly in, in the future i want to say slightly in the future stuck in a house post-apocalyptic kind of things are going on but they're alone um what i really liked about it was that it was creepy the whole time I, w I didn't know what was going to happen next. Really didn't know why everybody was scared, but I was scared as well. <laughs> and, and it kind of kept you on the edge of your seat. And it was a pretty memorable kind of uh, scary film. I, I still uh, think about it every now and again. I was like, oh, my God, I forgot all about that film. That creeped me out. It just pops in my head. Um, kind of just being alone in a house. and I always remember like that. the ending. Once oh, again, yeah. we're not going to spoil anything, but yeah. the ending itself is a scene where it's stuck in my head. That was... One of the films I had to shave off of my list. Mm -hmm. Sam, I, I remember feeling the same. The bill on the edge of my seat, 
just not knowing what to expect, the feeling of like cabin fever that yeah. that movie made you feel. Like you you feel it in the movie theater. It, and I also, it did a great job. I think of that. it kind of fakes you out a couple of times too. It's it like does. maybe this is happening. And maybe nothing it's happens. Not. Yeah. 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 Very nice. good movie. Excellent choice. Uh, so my number ten is on someone's list a little bit lower. So we are gonna skip me this turn, and uh, we're gonna go to Marco here. So my number ten is Free Fire, directed by Ben Wheatley, um, and it's actually one of the first films, one of the earlier films that I saw this year. I think no, it came out in April. I think I think I want to say March or April. Yeah, yeah it was, it was really somewhat near. limited release when we saw it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's well, it's definitely one of the first films that like really captivated me and uh, like really caught my attention. Um, I had great action mixed with comedy and a very good plot. I just felt that the movie moved at such a great pace as well too. Very the screenplay screenplay was very well written and I felt was uh, original as well. Um, Brie Larson, Army Hammer, and Killian Murphy were fun to watch in the movie. Um, and overall, like it, it just all the elements of the movie blended well together. The fact that it takes place in like one single location and it doesn't even like feel like that. It just like, it's just constantly moving. There's always something happening in the movie that's, and it's getting like your attention. So, um, just felt that it, it still like when I look back of when I watched that movie, I was like, wow, that was a very like fun, entertaining, that's good, was, good yeah. action comedy movie. That's what I was gonna say. It was a very fun film. It's very self-contained. Yeah. Um, especially my memory of seeing it too was that it, I was unexpectedly a lot better than I thought it was gonna be. Same. And I, I, I do agree. The characters themselves move the, uh, the film along, even though it takes place only in one spot. I think um, Cillian Murphy himself too. I really liked oh, his role. Great, yeah. I think he was really good in that one. And then once again, Army Hammer is in this film. Army First Hammer. film I actually liked him in, by the way. No, most films I've seen him, I was like, oh, he's okay. This one, I thought he was hilarious in this film. Me too. Yeah, yeah. I was he actually was surprised. I didn't yeah. know he could be like this funny. Mm-hmm. So, liked it. So that's our number ten picks. Uh, moving on to nine, Nabil. What's your number nine film? My number nine film was Split. Um, now this is the film Good with choice. James McAvoy, um, and where he's got like, tw- I think 12 or so personalities. I think it's more than that. Yeah. He's got quite a few. And I was interested in Can seeing we- this from the trailer when I saw James McAvoy just playing different characters and the film did not disappoint. Um, you know, that's true though. M. Night Shyamalan came back in 2017. He did. Yeah. That's that was, that was a shocker. That was the real twist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're like a decent M. Night movie. Yeah, what the hell? Well. <laughs> Although I will say the visit from two years back was not bad. Okay. Yes. It was I'll, good. I'll have to check that it out. was good. Uh, it, it, this movie was a hundred percent James McAvoy for me though. Um, like, he, I don't know uh, how many actors could have like pulled off him playing all these different characters, being creepy, being you know charismatic at the same time. You didn't know if he was really good or bad, um, and that's what really I enjoyed. Like I was both scared of him and at the same time I really felt for him. And then of course the twist at the end really kind of helped um, uh, make it make it kind of a bigger impact because now he's it's just. All of a sudden, turned full fledged horror. Yeah, it, you know? it made yes. the movie yeah. much more worth it. It yeah. opens your eyes to a couple of things that you don't expect, and it's like shit. Maybe that was real. Yeah. So absolutely, I agree. Uh, it was M Night Shyamalan back to back to form. 
Uh, McAvoy's performance was just great, and uh, to see him become each individual character in the movie was just like incredible. It really shows his, his true talent. Uh, again, another movie that had me at the edge of my seat and kind of like at some points like kind of terrified me because you're just like wondering like, man, is this is, like what's what's this guy gonna do? Like, what's his end game? And uh, of course, the twist. Man, it's so hard not to spoil it, but damn, it's it's well worth it. Check it out. Yeah. Give give Shyamalan another chance in this in this film. Awesome. What about you, James? Actually, mine is gonna skip this turn too. But uh, Marco, what is your number nine? Uh, my number nine for the year is The Disaster Artist, directed by James Franco. Real quick, just a biographical drama about uh, Tommy Wiseau and Greg Sestero and how these two made. The infamous cult movie, The Room. But um, overall, uh, the reason it made my top 10 is because of the, the experience I had while viewing the movie th- uh, at the movie theater, uh, which um, definitely bumped it up uh, to make my list. And just the fact that uh, James Franco's performance as Tommy Wiseau was so good. It's very convincing. And I didn't uh, just realize that he had like that that type of talent just amazing to see the story play out of how these two normal guys ended up making the worst movie ever and get fame out of it i mean it was it's incredible um and i thought that it was kind of an interesting story to put on film and uh, uh, again if you've seen the original movie of the room and have experienced this with friends it makes the disaster artist that much more enjoyable, especially if like you watch it in the right theater and it just had an impact on me. Very enjoyable film. Yeah. That was almost once again, another one almost on my top 10. I really enjoyed this one too. I thought it was super funny. Um, and just James Frank, would just want to go and globe for it last night. So yeah. obviously yep. pretty solid film. It, he, he nails the Tom Musso too with the accents and the American <laughs> guy. It's hilarious. I highly recommend watching the room beforehand. Sam just, even if you know it's more, it's better if you watch it with people. But um, if you got to see it yourself, just see how strange it is. It, it it pays off. All right. So moving on now to our number eight. Nabil, yours is on someone's on yes, this it one. Is. Yeah. So we're moving it. Uh, my number eight film is the new adaptation of uh, the movie It, directed by Andy Muschietti, who did Mama in twenty thirteen. So I just, I love horror films, as you guys know. So this yeah. was a movie that I really enjoyed. I Seeing the trailers right off the bat, I, I already knew. I was like, man, this looks really good. Um, a lot of buzz on it. I think the kid actors in this one work out really well. It's a really great story, a really great adaptation. And um, at least we got one good Stephen King movie this year, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Fucking oh, Dark hardly. Tower. Come on, Rip son. Dark Tower. Although I gotta say, Gerald's game was good too. So that was good. That almost made my list as well. Yeah. Oh, I'm spoiling myself. Oh but man, no. that's that's one movie that I want. I wish I could have seen too this yeah. year. Once again on Netflix, so that's mm-hmm. why we're always like, oh, I'll get to it when right. we get to it. But regardless, it I think Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise is one of the most horrifying iterations of a clown ever on screen, and uh, they uh, they up the gore violence from the TV miniseries. Yeah, I I still love Tim Curry's performance in that one. I think Bill Skarsgård's performance in this one is actually better. Well, since my number eight is mentioned uh, further down the list, or up the list, if you will, uh, I'll just comment on the fact that I agree with James that it is an amazing horror movie. And it, I wanted 
this movie to make my list. Like it was tough to take this one off because I'm such a big fan of the book. It was great to see like a, a like a really good modern true interpretation of the of the book and like James was saying Pennywise was horrifying in this film. Like I was like legit scared. And it takes a lot for a horror movie to scare me really, but there were a lot of like jumpy scenes in this where I was just like holy shit and like they nailed it. Um the, the 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 violence man they really took that to 11 because this this thing was just incredibly violent gory the way that stephen king had imagined it in his book and i i liked it so unfortunately it didn't make my list but i agree with you james no <laughs> i i fell but asleep speak- a little bit through the film so um uh, yeah, I didn't have the same impact. It was a good movie. Didn't you see this right after a fucking trip, though? Yeah, I did. Um, I enjoyed it. I definitely did. And I really am looking forward to the sequel because I want to see their take on it. What time did you see this at? <laughs> it was late. Yeah. It was Come like on, a bro. Did you fall asleep? I fell asleep a little bit. Oh, my God. Through, so. I literally do not know a moment where you can fall asleep during this film. I, f- I-, I found trouble falling asleep after watching this movie. Yeah. I was afraid um, Pennywise was going to come after me, man. You know what? I'm going to wreck. You know what? We're doing a new section where we recommend films will be like hey rewatch it bro yeah <laughs> okay done picking on nabil here uh number seven here nabil once again we're skipping you yours is on further down and actually marco you're getting skipped on this one as well yes i am so my James number dipping. seven film is uh pixar's coco uh directed by lee unkrich and adrian molina uh, once again, this is the best animated film I saw all year, and hands down, like I said, put money on it. It's gonna win best animated film at the Oscars. It I just agree. won a Golden Globe last night. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is a great film about family, about remembering those who have passed away, um, about uh, a kid's passion for music in a place where he's not allowed to practice what he likes to do, what he loves, and it's also him connecting with his grandfather yeah. on a level that's hard to show in animated films or even in films period but i really liked the um connections between the main character miguel in this movie with his family and realizing what is what's important in life and what isn't important in life and i think the animation itself is some of the best animation i've ever seen especially scenes of when they go up to the uh area of the dead or whatever it's called the city of the dead Mm. yeah and i think some of that's great i think the music is great uh, I think Remember Me has a chance at beating out some people, too. I know it didn't win last night at Golden Globes, but I think that's a fantastic song, one of the it's best songs song. Pixar has done. And, um, yeah, that's why that is my number seven. I think, especially, too, the thing that resonates with me is the last scene where Miguel sings a song to Mama Coco, and I think that's a very touching moment, so... All right, that was my number seven. Going to six here, we're skipping Nabil one, one more time here. And I, we're both getting skipped, and we're going to move on to Marco's number six pick. My number six pick for the year is Wonder Woman, directed by Patty Jenkins. And for me, this movie had to be on my list because it's such a historical moment in cinematic history with the first full on-screen performance of Wonder Woman uh, like on the like on the silver screen and the first major successful female superhero film so i thought that it just like it made such a huge impact especially this year with like everything that's like happened in hollywood and it 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 stands as like as a symbol 
uh, for women everywhere, little girls, my nieces just were so in love with this movie. And that's so fucking powerful for my niece to be excited and say, like, I want to dress up as Wonder Woman for Halloween. Like, it just, like, filled my heart with, like, a lot of joy. The writing, the plot, the acting were all done so good. And it's one of my personal favorite superhero films. Gal Gadot is charming. Her performance captivates the audience, in my opinion. And just huge shout out to Patty Jenkins because she doesn't get enough credit for doing an incredible job. And she deserves all the praise for making this DC's only successful major film. Hint, hint, you guys. But um, (laughs) yeah, it's just like every time I see this movie, I saw it. um, Fuck, over... um, winter break with uh again with my nieces and it was just a great experience fun movie um yeah i could watch this movie over over and over again and it's so good yeah this was my number 10 actually so that's why i did not bring it up um i liked wonder woman a lot i think it's the second best uh superhero film that came out this year and uh the only dc film that i liked this year so yeah um pretty much just going off of what Marco said it Gal Gadot does really well as Wonder Woman too I like that it was an origin story it's a very uplifting it did extremely well and in a time of need where we need strong uh, female leads like this this is a, a movie that I thought was extremely well done I've seen it three times now and I think every time I see something a little bit different on it, but I still, it's got a great mix of story, action, and you know, I gotta mention, Chris Pine does really good in this movie too, by yes, the way. He does very well. Yeah. Good. He plays Steve, um, Steve, uh, Steve Trevor. Yep. And Steve Trevor, he does, uh, he's fantastic this one. He has a very sad tale to the entire thing, but overall, I thought it was a very solid uh, superhero I agree. Uh, movie. Yeah, I think, I think definitely solid. It was a solid film, um, and... I think that's what these superhero films need to aspire to be and stay consistent in that way. Um, and and just Wonder Woman as a whole is a great character, and they really definitely just did her justice with that. All right, Nabil, and what is your number five there? My number five is Mother. Uh, that's the Darren Aronofsky film starring um, Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem, where they're in a house and crazy shit goes down. <laughs> and that's the only <laughs> thing I can say about the film without ruining anything for you. Um, it is very thought-provoking. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of imagery. There's a lot of metaphors. There's a lot of anything that you learned in English class uh, in that film. Yeah. Um, and it is... The reason it's on my number five is because this film, not only when you watch it, do you just leave it kind of angry almost and be like, what the heck did I just watch? Why did it end up this way? But then afterwards... You start thinking about it and saying, wait a minute, this happened? Wait, does it really mean this? Does it mean that? And it just sits with you. And it sat with me for like a week, like messing with my head, trying to figure out what I just saw. And I didn't want to see it again because I didn't want to take that experience away. But (laughs) I wanted to see it to see if I could make more sense of it. But I felt like I wouldn't be able to. Like that film messed with my head. And you don't really get a lot of those movies that do that. Um, So think it's uh for me a well-deserved number five yeah no i agree um this was a movie i didn't like right off the bat until i thought about it more and you were right you were the one telling me like oh you have to probably watch it again to figure it out and i think every individual person that sees that movie could probably interpret it a different way um i saw more religious things with it uh, eventually but um overall i thought it was really well done that almost made like my honorable mention or it would still be an honorable mention but it almost made top 10 but yeah 
Nice. So I'm getting skipped here because mine is further down. Um, Marco has a pick here, but which is also Nabil's number seven. Uh, that's right. My number five is Dunkirk. Uh, it's a war film uh, directed by Christopher Nolan. And what can I say? Christopher Nolan is probably one of my, if not my favorite modern director. I, I love all his films and he continues to impress me every fucking time. And the film is beautiful and magnificent. Uh, not to romanticize war by any means, but this movie was shot beautifully. Uh, every sequence, every scene with careful precision, everything in the movie is moves harmoniously throughout the film. And it's one of Nolan's best films, in my opinion, hands down. Killian Murphy, Harry Styles, and Mark Rylance all did very well in this movie. And, like, I enjoy their performances. So that's why it's made my top five. And, you know, I, I could have placed it higher, to be honest, but there was there was just, honestly, just a lot of other films that I felt, you know, just were more thought-provoking for me. But I will tell you that Dunkirk itself, the tension they build with the ticking of the clock throughout the whole film just right off the bat sets the tone of what you're expecting. They don't glorify the war, like you say, yeah. but they do kind of show what you know the the Brits did and with the maritime law and getting people involved and trying to yeah. save those soldiers and and you felt like, oh my God, is it gonna work? Is it gonna happen? Are they gonna save them? You know, like what's going on? And even at the end, it's very ambiguous, you know, unless you you, you are actually aware of what happens in history. Like a lot of the stuff maybe did or didn't happen as, right. as far as the specific characters, but um, you you were vested in it from the get go. You didn't need too much background. You just were like, what is happening? How are we supposed to help? I want to join the military now and try to save these yeah. people, you know, kind of thing. So um, it's definitely a film to remember. Yeah, it, it definitely brought out those feelings. And I felt like with with most movies that are based on a true event, I find myself at times questioning, did it really happen like that? Did that really happen? But I felt that Nolan filmed it so well where I didn't even question it, where I was just so fully immersed in the movie that I just couldn't wait to see what happened next. Even already having prior knowledge of the situation, it, it I mean, it was still riveting. So right. that, yeah, I would say I didn't make my top 10. Cause like Nibble said, it, there was many other films I saw that made me think a little more. I think visual wise, I think this is one of the best mm -hmm. um, sound wise. It looks really good. I think you fucked up if you didn't see this one in theaters. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, currently the IMAX scenes are not available for home viewing. So any of the aspect ratio changes or anything, um, I don't think you would get the same experience at home with this film as you would have gotten if you saw this in IMAX. We saw it in um, IMAX 70 millimeter, and I think that's the best way to see this movie. Uh, visual wise, there's very little dialogue. Uh, the sound is a lot of sounds. You barely know anyone's name. Uh, Nolan said he shot it almost like a silent film. Yeah, it's a solid war film, and it's one of those films that uh, I think Nolan uh, he did perfect on. So, but once again, it did not make my list. All right, and moving on, let's look at our number four here. Looking at it as well, Nabil, it looks like I put this one at number nine, and Marco put it at number eight. So my number four is Get Out. I, I put it pretty high up here, and, and really it's because it's a film I didn't expect um, to be what it was. I um, agree. I, I saw, you know, you see the trailers, they really 
really tried to pitch this as a horror film to and and I know we have some disagreements here, but um, I don't think it was a full fledged horror like they were advertising it. Um, it was definitely for me like a thriller. Um, it was very well done. A lot of not so subtle social commentaries on it, which. You know, wasn't that bad, though. They didn't, like, make it to the sense where it was like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. Stop shoving it in my face. I wanted to see what was going to happen to the character. I still was kind of confused halfway through until, um, you Good know. Good on a bill. Yeah. Not figuring <laughs> never, plot out. Never click things <laughs> together. I'm a child in these films. Um, He's like, oh, wait a minute. Now it makes sense. Um, so He's I don't, the guy from the beginning. I always get surprised when the reveal happens. I'm like, <sighs> and so that's what happened to me in this film. And... Really, not even that though. Not forgetting all the social commentary and 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 the metaphors in there, the way the film was shot, I think, was really just really well done. Just the close-ups, the just scannings of the room, the subtle looking of certain things in the and and how uh, a room was set up or or where people were placed and why. That also was part of the storytelling. Yeah, and I thought that was really well done. How it how um. It, it was just kind of all mellowed together. Like everything that was being shown was there for a reason. And it all kind of pointed to something else or hinted at it or came together for another reason later. Um, and that for me really just helped move that story along where you didn't have to talk too much about anything directly, but still slowly kind of move with the character throughout the film to the end. This movie ended up being my number eight. And I think it's an amazing horror movie. It's very original. One of the like the best original horror movies that I, I've seen, and and see, I I'm on the side where I think it's it's right there on the cusp where it's a horror but also a thriller. Um, there were still like many scenes where I was still kind of like gripping my seat, just I can fear like wondering like what's going to happen, and I think that it, the the themes that the movie explored and how relevant they are to today, those themes are what made it scary. Is going like through that experience that the main character was going through. And that's the fear that it was supposed to induce into people to put them in that place. And Daniel Kaluuya's performance uh, was also amazing. It made my number eight. I think it's kind of like what James says, that anything pretty much underneath my number one, I could have put in any like random order. And I think when I was making my list, I just sort of was thinking, like, what what else am I missing? What movie? And I saw I, I was thinking Get Out. And I was like, I, I forgot to put that on my list. And I just immediately replaced whatever random movie that was on there. Actually, you know, I think I had It on there, and I think I replaced It with Get Out because I just felt that Get Out was more impactful and more original. Don't get me wrong, I enjoyed It. It was still a good movie, but I felt that this movie was more impactful for me. Again, going with, like, the emotional buy-in that I felt for the movie is what did it for me. So I'm just I'm glad I made it on my list. Really yeah. good movie. Good choice, Nadal. Um, I agree, too. Mine actually beat out uh, Wind River on my side. That was the one that almost made it for me. For the longest time, too, for like right. the last two weeks until like two days ago. And then I was like, you know what? This was good. Because you know why? I think Get Out, yeah, it's like a horror thriller, but I think it's also a look at society as a whole. I think yeah. if you were to if you were to ask yourself to describe like a movie in 2017, 10 years from now, you could say Get Out represents the year in a way. Yeah, I know they said that on the Slash film cast, too. So that's kind of a like a social commentary on what's going on, and like you said, it's not super subtle. Yeah, it's pretty on the nose at times, and I think that's where maybe that's why it's my number nine. I don't think it's the masterpiece that some people would say. I think it's a great directorial debut for Jordan Peele, who is mostly known for you know Keen Peele comedy, sketch, comedy yeah. sketch comedies, but obviously he's a quite a good director. 
Um, I enjoyed the movie a lot. I liked the twist. I liked how it didn't go into every stereotype, especially there's Same. a scene at the end where you think something's going to happen and something different happens, and it's like, oh, shit, that was nice. It's, different. it's a different film. It's a movie that is well done. It's well acted. It has a really cool twist. Um, no, solid movie. I really enjoyed it. It's one of those movies that I'm, I can probably rewatch again and again and still enjoy it. So. Same. All right, and then uh, we are moving on to me here for my number four pick. This is Marco's number seven and Nabil's number six pick, and that is Logan, uh, directed by James Mangold, who uh, did Walk the Line in 2005, 310 to Yuma in 2007, and he also did the previous Wolverine movie, The Wolverine, in 2013. Uh, this is Hugh Jackman's last film, supposedly, as Wolverine, and I think this Rip. is the ultimate swan song because we finally got a rated R uh, Wolverine film. Um, it's a touching story uh, between Hugh Jackman and um, Patrick Stewart character, Professor Xavier. Um, I liked uh, also Hugh Jackman, oh, I keep calling him, Logan's relationship with Laura. <laughs> <laughs> Daphne Keene, who I thought was really good as yeah. a um, new kind of mutant. I don't want to ruin it, but the relationship between the two, and I think Logan itself, we finally get the over-the-top visceral violence that we've been longing for from a guy that has blades coming out of his hands. And I would say that the <laughs> ending scene is still one of the most impactful ending scenes I've seen in any superhero film, period. Yeah, Honestly, I, in my opinion, um, and, and I got this as number six here, uh, it, the best superhero film of the year. Um, it's just... It's, it's mine too, by the way. Yeah, it's, it's like a, a Western... Um, it's very still X Men. It's it's set, but it, it focuses on Logan and his issues, and and you really finally get to see all the pain he's carrying and mm-hmm. why he's carrying. Like in all the films, he's always suffering, but in this one, like it's all just kind of come to climax here. Like this is it's come to fruition. Yeah, like you see why uh, he's suffering and what he's had to carry and and how he's had to live for so long and what he's had to deal with and. And all the trouble he's had to see, you know, people passing away and coming in and out of his life. So very, very well done um, and and uh, very good end of, of this saga, if, if this truly is, for Hugh Jackman playing a, this kind of role. I agree with you both. And because of the long history of the character Wolverine and Hugh Jackman playing him for 17 fucking years. Yeah. Um, it's also one of the reasons why it was my favorite superhero movie of the year also, because we've had that established history. It's been a long journey. It's, it's been an emotional roller coaster for us to see this character get put onto screen over and over again and grow with us and evolve with us. And I thought that this movie, Logan, was a great, see, I, I, I kind of veer towards, uh, the fact that this is more like of a deconstruction of Neville, more not mm. necessarily like the traditional war Wolverine. Like they do have the elements of like the original Wolverine, but it's it's a great story of a hero that's broken, that's just been through the rough for so long because of all those emotional and physical scars he's acquired over the years. And I think and, it's like a father son kind of relationship too. Yeah, like yeah. he's always looked to Professor X as a father figure and since he's, the first he's, movie. And he's finally seeing it until now it's finally hitting yeah, him. And I feel. he's and I think now that he's in the role of caretaker now, it's it's a much more somber kind of tale yep. though. Right. And that's why it hits him harder because he's seeing that and sees what Professor X has truly done for him and prepared him for. 
Uh, but the, yeah, the performances, Hugh Jackman, Patrick Stewart, and Daphne Keene, wow, she was very impressive for this because I I haven't seen her in anything prior to this. I don't know if she's been in anything before she, this no, movie. I don't think much, yeah. But um, they're, they, they screen tested a ton of kids. Damn. Well, they got the right one. Yeah, their, their, their chemistry, their performance <laughs> together was great. And um, I can't name the guy off the top of my uh, top of my head, but the guy with the the metal arm, Pierce, that guy, it's Pierce uh, Boyd Holbrook. Yeah, uh, I I liked him in this. I mean, I know he wasn't like a great villain, but I just thought that he was a good menace yeah. in the background. Yeah, so I, I appreciate his performance in it too. But yeah. so, solid film, I enjoyed it. All right, and we are skipping Marco's number four here. I'm gone. So, and uh, look at this, guys. Number three, we're skipping all of them because it's going to be in the next two here. Yeah. Ooh, we're getting to the top of the mountain. Okay, uh, Nabil, what, your number two is also my number three. That's right. Uh, and that is Lady Bird. And that movie was not what I thought it was going to be when I saw it either. Uh, and I loved it. I thought the uh, the way so it's it's about Shirley Ronan's a star and she is essentially a, a teenager, uh, senior in high school, and it just shows her year that senior year of school and a little bit after, and um, the way they tell that story um, is really what I found so impressive about it because they show instead of just kind of showing weird key things and and and, and dragging things on and. And sh- trying to make sh- make make a point of there's some kind of connection and you growing at the end of your life, they they literally just show it as if you're growing with this you know senior throughout the whole film. So you see her from the beginning of the school, um, you do see the key events um, of what's going on, but you just keep moving organically. It feels like to me the location helps because it's in Sacramento and I grew up in Sacramento in California, but really it's just more like Cher said this did a really good job knocking uh you know nailing her role she's very believable and for some reason i could relate with a 17 year old girl i've never experienced anything she's ever done uh, but I feel, club, like, yeah, <laughs> I feel like i could relate with her uh to her so i, I don't know what it is but it all just seemed, seemed to me very natural and it really was a hard decision between, between this and uh, my number one spot but um ultimately i think that the story itself wasn't anything that um in comparison to what the number one was that that moved me so much but the storytelling and the way it was being told itself was what really um put it number two for me yeah i uh i totally agree it's one of those it's a coming of age tale uh, where somebody it takes time for her to realize what she really does have because Saoirse Ronan's character Lady Bird she she, act, she supposedly hates Sacramento because she says nobody artsy comes from there and she'd rather go to some place where um, she can be appreciated because she feels like she doesn't fit in. And I think by the end of the film, she finally realizes like, man, this is my home and this is why I fit in. And I'll always remember these kind of things. So it's relatable in a way because I think anybody can relate to that. I guess for me, especially going off to college, I didn't go that far. I commuted to college, but Mm -hmm. it gave me a different slice of life and I can relate to moments of especially near the end where she goes off finally and has parts where she's not with her mom by the way her mom played by Lori metcalf is really good in this she's movie. phenomenal in that role. it's her and yeah. sorcerer and hold this film down and they do so wow. well and i think her events lady like the fact that i can relate where 
I can argue with people in my family, and then two seconds later, we're friends. Yeah. And we're like, oh, we just smashed it real quick. That's how we talk. They do so many uh, parts like that in this one, especially the scene where they're in the uh, thrift store, and they're like, oh, they're like cussing each other out. And they're like, oh, look at this dress, though. They're like, oh, my God, it looks so nice. <laughs> I'm like, damn, this is like so fucking relatable, right? <laughs> I'm like, that's how we talk. Like, we fucking yell. Like, I, you know, I got in arguments with people all the time like that. But uh, Lady Bird's, like, her guide, like, through senior year, you fill you fill out what she's going through, what's in her mind, her life events. I think anybody can relate to those. And um, I hope I hope uh, Greta Gerwig gets nominated for an Oscar too for too. director. She did really good in this one. Uh, that's my number three choice is uh, Lady Bird as well. All right, uh, Marco, your number two is my number five. Uh, that's right. It is T2 Train Spotting. No, not T2 Terminator. This is dun, something dun, completely dun, dun. different. Uh, dry, comedy drama directed by uh, Danny Boyle, who's also known for doing Slumdog Millionaire and, of course, the first Train Spotting movie. But uh, reason it's my number two, and man, this was a close uh, number one for me, is because this movie is life affirming. It's very deep and makes you. Really put your life into perspective and think about past actions, the what ifs, the undeniable re- uh, reality of uh, the consequences of your actions. And it's a movie that mentally stuck with me for weeks after I saw it uh, because it, it's also shot very beautifully. Um, it had a great soundtrack, amazing performances by Ewan McGregor, Ewan Bremer, Johnny Lee Miller, and Robert Carlyle. Um, it's an amazing follow-up to the the nineteen ninety six movie Train Spotting, and I recommend people watch both these movies back to back. In fact, like James recommended that uh, to me, and I'm glad I got to see Train Spotting the first one before I ended up seeing the sequel. Um, it's definitely one of uh, Danny Boyle's greatest works, in my opinion. And even even just now, like talking to the mo- about the movie, I'm getting like goosebumps about it because it's. Uh, just such a great, impactful movie. Um, I recommend it. Yeah, so this movie is really good. And I <laughs> think being a fan of the original movie, if you move into this one, um, like Marco said, that's why I recommend watching these ones back-to-back. It works out so well because the movie itself, what was it, Marco, like 20 years later, 30 years later? Yeah, no, 20 years, yeah. Yeah, so years. It, it really starts off in a point where... What happened to everybody? Because I don't want to yeah. ruin the end of the first movie, I guess. Mm-hmm. Although it's been out for 30 years. But. It's been out for a while. <laughs> it's, it's, like, skip ahead like a minute or two like if you don't want to hear this. But yeah, go ahead, man. To a point. What I mean is something happens to Renton at the end of the film where he is no longer with his his mates, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this movie picks up like, hey, maybe people change. Maybe people don't change. It's one of those movies where you can go back and you can start talking to people like you never left. And I like yep. that aspect, especially... Where Renton and uh, who's it? Renton and Simon just start, even though they left off on the worst of fucking terms, they go off and they kind of, in a way, because he's always been cool with Spud, and then Begbie's a dick still. But yeah, I mean, yeah. throughout that yeah. movie, it's just them kind of getting in back on that bullshit again, really. Technically, <laughs> <Yeah>. seriously, <laughs> really, it's like they never fucking left, and it's he has moments of I think I love the moments where Ian McGregor's character remembers scenes and places where they had been in the first movie. Same. And I don't know. It's the nostalgia factor. of This one is crazy. Also, this is the first movie I've ever seen by myself. 
So oh, I saw uh, what, is, what is Dunkirk no for me? Mm-hmm. So it was weird. I was like, this is weird. Um, I saw it when I was in Arizona. I had like the flu. So I watched the first one. I had a free screening. I saw this movie months before it came out. And nice. so I caught it. And then that's when I was like, man, this is going to stick with me. This is an experience itself. But I loved that the ending itself even calls back to the original uh, film. And it hits yeah. the songs right off the bat. And it... It moves in a way where it's like, man, this is it. It just works. It works so well. It's a movie that, it's a great experience overall. I love the acting. I think Danny Boyle is amazing. Yeah, uh, I've, Slumdog Millionaire once again is great. 127 Hours, um, 20 Days Later, all these. Oh films. yeah, he's yeah. a he's a he's he's one of my favorite directors personally. I know Marco likes Nolan. I really like Danny Boyle. Danny so. Boyle is also one of my top directors, modern directors as well. But yeah. Uh, yeah. T2 Train Spotting, definitely check it out if you're a fan of the first one. And I'd recommend it highly if uh, watching them back to back, even as a refresher, it works out really well. All right. And uh, looking at my number two here, I chose the actually, and this is uh, Marco, your number four, I believe, right? Correct. Uh, it is Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water. So this movie, I really enjoyed this one a lot. Um, I know we talked about it on the last pa- the last podcast. So I don't know if maybe because I've just seen it recently, it might be affecting me more. But this is a movie because I absolutely love Pan's Labyrinth that I thought Guillermo del Toro, like I, to- I talked about it last time. I don't think he's, his last few films I, I-, I didn't really like, Pacific Rim and-, and Crimson Peak. I wasn't the biggest fan of that one either. Um, I think this one was extremely well directed. I loved the relationship between the creature and Eliza. Uh, Richard Jenkins as Giles as her friend was really good. I think Michael Shannon as a bad guy as well was super over the top and crazy. Oh, yeah. Like his fucking fingers literally come off. And it's got a great message about love. And it's a like a modern day. Oh, not well, It's a fairy tale set in more yeah, modern times. It's a modern fairy tale. But um, I loved it. I thought the score was beautiful for this yeah, one. Yeah, music was wonderful. Which, it, by the way, that also won last night for Golden yeah. Globes for best score. Good. Uh, and Guillermo del Toro finally won a fucking best director, mm-hmm. Golden Globe. I don't know if that means Oscar. Probably not. But I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. It was a beautiful story. I love the cinematography. I love the throwbacks to the old films. Um, I thought it worked out really well. Uh, I agree. Uh, I loved it. Um I've seen few Del Toro films. Like I didn't see Pacific Rim um, or the other movie you mentioned, uh, but I did see Pan's Labyrinth. It was fucking incredible. I, I saw his Hellboy movies as well, which I also enjoyed. Uh, but I gotta say, like even with Pan's after seeing Pan's Labyrinth years ago, I gotta say this is my favorite Del Toro movie so far. It's just incredible, visually artistic film with just great sequences. The underwater dance scene was. Just so beautifully shot. Yeah, I agree. It was just incredible. I was in awe. I, I just was so filled with emotion of that. Music was great. Um, the social commentary in it as well, too, about uh, discrimination and acceptance was was so well brought up. It wasn't too in your face. It was just there interwoven within the storyline, which I enjoyed. Uh, Michael Shannon... Um, I'm a huge fan of his work too, like you are, James. Yeah. And I thought that his performance is great too. Like he was very like terrifying, and it it's it was just a great uh, visualization to see that this being that looked different from everybody else and to the humans was deformed was actually like a very like nice like 
creature person. Ma- magical too. Yeah, <laughs> magical. It was a nice, it, you know, it was a true person versus Michael Shannon, who's like this human is like a he's the he's, he's, he's a real monster. He's the real monster of the movie. Just yeah. like what you guys were saying, like I really saw that and I was like, man, this is great. The performances were just amazing. Sally Hawkins, Michael Shannon, Octavia Spencer, Doug Jones, all all great. Um, the story was beautiful and moving and. Uh, I mean, it, it stuck with me like for days. I, I saw it recently, and it's still like in in like my head. And like I said, like the 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 way I choose the movies before my number one, reverting back to what James has said already before, I could put them in any order. But I'm glad that this movie definitely made my top five, and that I was able to catch it before we did this episode because it's one of the best movies I've seen this year, hands down. Nice. So those are our. 10 to 2 to a point here. We're going to switch it up because we're almost at the top of the mountain here. Uh, let's go over our honorable mentions here. Uh, we could have, like, at this point, done about 10 to 20 of them. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of good films, as you guys can tell. But yeah. we limited it to two for time constraints, of course. So, Nabil, let me know. What are your two honorable mentions, and why didn't they make your top 10? Um, well, my first one was Thor Ragnarok, um, and I thought it was, like, really funny. The acting was great. The, the way they told the story of Thor, they really showed a character growth um, on him. And for Marvel, you know, this is a really good uh, way of them showing us that they can not get kind of stuck doing the same old film over and over again. Um, like they can elevate it and, and do better each time. Thor really just kind of was a standout of a Marvel film that I've seen in a few years. But Logan was like we talked about the best superhero film um, of the year for sure, and and like we were saying, it it that movie made me feel that movie made me feel like yeah. something was happening, and 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 really felt for the character. Thor Ragnarok it was just a really good film overall. It's and, a it's a popcorn flick. That yeah. and Spider Man, I'd say, are the two films that are could have maybe made a bottom of ten, but it's just there wasn't anything super special about them. Don't get me wrong, I think this is still the best Thor film. For sure. And it's strange because they yeah. they went that Guardians route on this one. Yeah. It was oh. almost like it was the right fit for Thor, if you think about it, where they were yeah. like, you know what? We should have made it like this from, from the get-go. Yeah. But... Um, at yeah. times, it's a little too Guardians on the nose, but that's just my little... Uh, I agree, too. Yeah. with it. Uh, and my other one was Shape of Water. We just talked about that. Um, I will say that, for me, um, what your guys' standouts were, weren't necessarily the same for me. Um, and this is why I didn't make the list. Like Michael Shannon and Octavia Spencer, they were excellent in the film. But I think the way that the characters were were very on the nose of a lot of other characters they've played before. So I didn't think that was very original. What was original was the monster, was um, the lead actress, the set pieces, uh, the music. Um, I love the music in that film. And everything, He Guillermo del Toro did a really good job of making everything work together. But for me, yeah. it didn't leave that kind of lasting impression um, as it did for others. Cool. Uh, what about you, Marco? What are your two honorable mentions? Uh, f- uh, first one I kind of uh, mentioned um, briefly, but it was uh, Stephen King's It. Um, I, I wanted it to make this list just because, um, I mean, again, it's uh, like one of my favorite books. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a long book. It's a huge book. <laughs> It's uh, a, an excellent horror story, and the fact that this this movie brings such an iconic character. I mean, you bring up it to almost anybody, or Pennywise the Clown, people know exactly who you're talking about. They'll think of uh, Tim Curry's performance back in the early '90s, and the fact that th- this movie was able to live past that expectation and beyond was just something that 
um, I felt was really like touching of a character that was like so iconic in my life that I grew up with. Like my brother and I would like scare each other growing up about Pennywise the clown or watch out during rainy days, you know, step, keep away from the gutters and stuff like that. But this movie visually was great. Um, I know that, I mean, the story is well known from, for most Stephen King fans, but the, the interpretation on, on the silver screen, the modern or sort of modern take on it and creative liberties that the director took with it was so great. And Pennywise was fucking scary as fuck. <laughs> like I, I, you guys know that I've mentioned this before, but I, I judge horror movies like harshly. Like yeah. it takes a lot to scare me. It takes a lot for a horror movie to get my attention. This movie did that for a horror movie. It was great. It's, it's not just a horror movie to me, but it's a great film overall. So uh, the performances from the young actors was great. Um, I just love their dynamic together, the realism of it too, and how like you know kids would actually you know do that. They're not as portrayed as innocent as you know they seem. Yeah. So uh, wish it could have made my uh, my top ten list, but I had to edit some of it, and mm-hmm. this one didn't make the final block. The other one would be <clears throat> one I recently just saw, um, Downsizing with Matt Damon. Another great movie that has some good social commentary about our society and technological advances and how sometimes that doesn't always uh, lead to um, a great livelihood for everybody else. Like most people see technology as something that will bring everybody more together and kind of make everyone in the world more equally as far as resources, as far as wealth. But you see that even in the future, there's still, unless we like address these issues now, throwing in like technology and things like that isn't always going to accomplish that. And not only that, but um, Matt Damon, in a way, his character feeling sort of like lost in his life. and Like just, he never belongs. Like, yeah, right. like not belonging, not truly having enough. And then just having, uh, going through this experience kind of like makes him woke, so to speak. And he like... <laughs> finds his place and his true meaning and calling in life and just great movie overall. And James, what about yours? So my movies here, I put down the greatest showman. I know there's a lot of shit because PT Barnum was a, was not a good person, (laughs) but if you look past that and you know that he's not good, but if you look at it as a entertainment point, it has some of the best music I've seen (laughs) or heard since La La Land last year, which makes sense because the people that made La La Land's music did the music for this movie. Oh, I really like La um, La Land. Hugh Jackman does really well. Um, Zendaya does really well. Zac Efron, Michelle Williams again. Uh, it's got a really good cast. It's one of those movies that it inspires hope in you. It inspires love and dreams and what you want to achieve. I know that's that's super weird to talk about. I enjoyed the hell out of this movie. I didn't think I would at all. Five minutes in, I was like, I don't know about this. And then by the end of the movie, I was like, God damn, that was good. I actually loved it. I love the movie a lot, so that's why it's getting an honorable mention. I guess, like, um, I don't know. It, it might, and I, I won't get too far into it, but I, I felt if it was a little bit more accurately portrayed, I'd probably give it a shot. Kind of like... Uh, it's a musical. Yeah. Yeah, true. I can I can see that, but eh. If you Maybe one if it's on the background on TV, I'll check it out. Yeah, <laughs> I think it has some great music, and if you've seen Hugh Jackman before in, like, Les Mis, oh, he was I think... You would think he. I think he he does really well in this one too. So, uh, my last one here is the Emoji Movie, which actually I'm just kidding. Oh my god! <laughs> I was like, what? 
It's a split. Mine was split as well. I think split was one of the best um, cinematic experiences if someone didn't ruin the movie for you. Yeah. Which, when uh, Marco and I went to see this film back in February of last year, I was like, man, we have to see this because apparently if people ruin it for you, then the payoff to this movie is not that is not going to be like a, oh, okay. Like, I remember the movie being, this is why it's not on my top ten. Because Split itself was a film that I enjoyed overall because M. Night Shyamalan, I thought it was creepy. It's super, it's pretty creepy at times. Yeah, it is yeah. pretty creepy. It's got some weird moments, but then I think the last, like, 120 seconds of the movie, I guess, <laughs> is where, like, my mind got fucking blown. Yeah. Like, yeah. literally, I looked at Mark and I was like, what the fuck? You could fuck? not stop talking about that spoiler. Yeah, no, I didn't talk to you. I didn't tell you the yeah, spoiler, That's though. what I'm saying, but yet you couldn't stop talking I about told it. Namil, though, I was like, you should see it immediately, though, before <laughs> yeah. I spoil this shit. And anybody I talk to, I tell them to watch a certain film beforehand without mentioning things. But I'm like, well, have you seen this? Well, then this might make more sense. But um, I'm looking forward to the eventual sequel. So Yeah, I do, too. All right. So those are our honorable mentions. Let's move on to our number one films here. So, Nabil, what was your number one film of 2017, which was also my number six film? <laughs> my number one <laughs> film was Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Um, and I'm going to tell you, I saw this film, and I was just so awed by it the whole time. that Every character that you see at first, you're just like, why do I care about these people? You know, these everybody looks I, terrible. Yeah. You At know? first, you're like, man, yeah. everyone fucking sucks yeah. here Everybody's in Ebbing, Missouri. But there's like so much redemption here. Everybody has a redemption story. There's, there's, I like the racist guy in this film, and I shouldn't have, you know? Jeez. But it's terrible. Bold move, Cotton. Yeah. Bold move. <laughs> the movie was crazy. Um, there, there was a lot of scenes where you thought something was going to happen one way and just something else completely different happened. You did not, there's no way you could have seen it happen coming. Um, and that's it coming. Uh, that's saying a lot for someone like me who always gets surprised by movies. I was extra surprised. So, um, I thought the story is very original. I thought the core of the message, um, there was no resolution, um, of what was happening in the film, what the, what they, what the actual premise was. Nothing really get resolved. I don't think that's the point of it. But that's not the point, exactly. That's just the story in this time that they're telling you about um, and the catalyst of everything that happens. And um, the way it was shot was well. There were some tense moments. The dialogue can get very uh, serious and very vulgar, um, but at the same time, very funny. Um, And, you know, things that uh, the characters do. I mean... I'll tell you this, the only thing I did not like about this film was Woody Harrelson's wife. And not because I didn't like her, I couldn't figure out her accent. And I believe that's her original Australian accent. Jesus Christ. But it's terrible. <laughs> so, oh, not to mention, God. she's like 20 years younger than him. Yeah, super young. So, And she's not really in the film. She's in like a couple scenes, so it doesn't really take away much. But the accent was what bothered me with her. Um, but the film itself, I, I think it, it just won the Golden Globe for a Best Drama. Um, and I think that it'll uh, do really well on the Oscars. Yeah, I um, I liked it a lot. It's in my number six. I think Frances McDormand, she's the mother who is trying to get the sheriff, Cheryl, uh, Sheriff Willoughby, played by Woody Harrelson, to find out who fucking killed her daughter and raped her. Yeah. So it's super brutal. And it's a dark comedy, though. Very dark. It's actually quite funny. I laughed a lot of times. But there's scenes in there that are very depressing and very dramatic. 
Um, Dixon is the racist cop, but I liked him. Sam Rockwell's character, too. Mm-hmm. He has... Everybody needs something in this movie. Um, Frances McDormand's character, she wants to find out who killed her daughter. Um, Sam Rockwell just wants to people to like him, really, truthfully. Yeah. His yeah. character, Ultimately. that's his whole his whole character arc is that he, people think he's a mama's boy. They always make fun of him. He doesn't get the respect he deserves. But then you find out near the end, like, this guy actually is a really good cop. Mm-hmm. He's He does certain things, especially a scene near the end. It's very powerful. Every scene with him in the last 20 minutes of the film is fantastic. And then I think Woody Harrelson does a good job, too. He's very serious. He's And then you do find out that he there's more issues to him than first appear, you know? Yep. And it's very touching. But out, uh, a very solid film, a very different film, and I, I really like this one as well. Um, Marco, uh, your number one film of 2017 is also the Bill's number three. Yes. Uh, that is right. It is Blade Runner 2049, the neo-noir sci-fi film directed by Denis Villeneuve. I believe that's how you pronounce it. Is that right? He's French. No one yeah. can pronounce his name. Uh, yeah, I'm, I apologize for botching his name. But um, anyway, it, in my opinion, the movie is a true masterpiece. Uh, this movie still resonates in my mind to this day. Um, I, I really am into movies that have deep-seated themes and... Um, I think this movie's theme transcends like the casual movie and uh, especially those that have like embedded love stories in them. Um, and it goes beyond what like normal films usually do, in my opinion. These are ideas that and themes that I believe will be relevant, you know, for years to come, just like even like the first movie. And of course, my top two movies happen to be sequels. Hmm. I can't help it. I like the themes. They were great. If you include Logan, I have three sequels in my top <laughs> 10. But hey, that that's the way it goes. Um, Ryan Gosling is a talented actor and gave like one of my favorite performances that that I've seen. There's a specific scene in the movie and I, I like I won't give it away. Um, but if you've, if you've listened to our Blade Runner 2049 episode, you'll know which one. Um, but it's a specific scene Plug that in. moved me so much. Gosling did it so well in the scene that I, I couldn't even tell he was acting. It felt genuine. And like, I felt like, like what he was feeling, um, the fight scene, although a few people hated it and thought that it was anticlimactic, had such a bigger meaning that I understood why Villeneuve filmed it like the way he did. Um, it was good to see Harrison Ford return as Decker. Uh, Sylvia Hoax was a very menacing character. She was menacing as fuck. Um, and I appreciated her performance. Uh, Jared Leto was weird as always. And I enjoyed him, even though he's not my favorite part of the movie. Um, still a good character. All in all, like it's a movie that I would recommend. It's long. It's like a three-hour-long movie. But if you're a huge like sci-fi fan or neo-noir fan... Um, or if you're looking for something different, I think you're going to really enjoy this film, but it's, it's just a movie that when I think 2017 and a movie that I absolutely love and would want to watch over and over again and has moved me emotionally and has impacted me like deeply, like throughout the entire time I was watching the movie, it's Blade Runner 2049. And, and, um, honestly, Blade Runner is one of my favorite films of all time, the original. And watching this, this is 
probably one of the few times I could say that the uh, sequel did better than the original overall. Um, I thought Blade Runner 2049 like improved on what a lot of the aspects were from the first film and helped explore more of that world. Um, Ryan Gosling is a great addition to that universe and um, really kind of fit in with the whole um, idea of uh, the Blade Runner world. Um, the visuals were just there isn't another movie this year um, that came out that could compare it to the visuals of that film at all. I think that the the whole just tone that they set matches perfectly, and there's a yeah. great you know the, there's great story arc for Ryan Gosling specifically, um, and I mean that film itself was just like you were saying, it's a visual masterpiece. And yeah. you go from start to finish. For me, at least, I was enthralled the whole time. Like, I just wanted to see what was going on next and 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 find the deeper meanings in it. And there's just so much to, to, for that film to tear apart from. Definitely one of the films that you would have had to see in that year. It's a it's a slow burn. But yeah. at the same time, it, it's it's powerful. And that's really why, what, I, like, what I enjoyed about it is, again, it's not really dangling around like the you know the common themes of like uh a hero overcoming an obstacle or an intertwined love story in there it's like you get enough of that through hollywood all the time but to see like something that talks about like other issues that are relevant to us and that are going to keep continuing within society I think that carries more weight and is more powerful and differentiates this movie away. Whether it's someone's cup of tea or not, you can't deny that the overall message of the movie was just great, in my opinion. Getting to the last one here, my number one film is Nabil's number eight and Marco's number three. And that is Baby Driver, uh, directed by Edgar Wright, who made uh, Shaun of the Dead, World's End, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. It is a heist film where... Uh, a slightly deaf dude basically it's is tinnitus the, yeah something like that right well yeah he, he drives he's it's he drives he drives but then eventually <laughs> he's a getaway driver he works for a child molester named kevin spacey and then he basically <laughs> wants to um get out of the business basically and um because he falls in love with a uh, waitress named deborah played by lily james um, but uh, Kevin Spacey and his cohorts have one last job for him, basically. Nothing illegal. I mean, wait, no, it's illegal. Yeah, it's illegal. Really so anyways, <laughs> I loved this movie. This was the most fun I had all year watching a film. I think it had one of the best soundtracks. Oh, the Every best soundtrack yeah. worked together perfectly yeah. in sync with the scenes with any of the heists. And I thought it was funny. I thought the romance was... Uh, maybe a little too much. I'd say that's probably the weakness of it. Yeah. Uh, but I get it, you know? Yeah. Um, I I think the main focus was the storyline and the characters. I think John Hamm, his buddy, was awesome. He did really well. Because I'm always used to him as a Don Draper-esque kind of character. And this one, he's a... He tur- he starts out as a nice guy, and then he slowly becomes like, dude, this guy's fucking mean as fuck, actually. Yeah. And he turns into a pretty crazy bad guy. And um, I thought the action, it was great. I loved the storyline. It does get, it's a little campy, but I liked that part of it. And I think Edgar Wright knows how to make movies that are different. This was one of the more different films I saw of the year. Um, It just works out. It worked out perfect. Every minute of this movie, I was in love with it. I loved Ansel Elgort as baby was really good. I yeah. liked him as the lead. Um, he's got like this fucking smoothness to him and, and charisma. Yeah, and he's a nice guy in this one, and he 
and he's he's trying to do best for because he got into a situation and yeah. it's kind of one of those things where he's getting out and you can relate to it in a way even though you know none of us are hit drivers and shit yeah. but, digging himself out of a hole basically yeah i thought movie. jamie fox was super cool and he was over the top and also crazy as fuck you know and um you know that shane from the walking dead no one knows no <laughs> one knows his name randomly no one knows his name the punisher but <laughs> punisher fuck, was he, in it so. he had one scene and i thought he was also like actually kind of funny yeah, in it, it you know scene. but overall it this was the movie for me this year that worked out really well it had the perfect blend of comedy and action and a storyline, and um, overall, I, I had a ton of fun watching this movie. Uh, I loved it. I loved the movie. It was really good, and it's also one of the earlier movies that we saw this year that also stuck with me like for days, where I was just like, holy fuck, that was a good fucking movie. Like, I kept telling people, you gotta watch Baby Same Driver. You I, gotta my watch parents it. went and saw it. Like I told it, them, I was like, you guys should see this. Yeah, and they it, liked it. So. it. It was almost like when I first saw uh, Drive with Ryan Gosling, I was Same. like, you gotta mm-hmm. see this fucking movie. Um and uh had memorable cinematography, the action scenes, uh the music, like James was saying, uh works well. It's it's uh it, the mix of music with the actions of the characters was a very good take for this movie, and I really like that too. It's like watching like a live soundtrack, which I thought was pretty cool. Um but um it was a it was a tough choice to put it at number three. Like it was the, my top three films were being alternated like at all times, like number one, number two, number three. Um, I, I agree with James where like the love story, I lo- I liked it and I thought the perform- ugh, performances were great, but I thought that it was like a, a trope that's like sometimes gets embedded into movies like a lot where I felt like even without the love story, this movie would have been great. It would have just been good with him just getting out and and seeing what type of person he really was instead of the one he was becoming working for this piece of yeah, shit guy. Yeah, and I think it it it, it kind of just progresses the film, I guess, cuz yeah. like there's a scene where John Hamm's in like the diner. Yeah. And then he's like, "Oh, do you know her?" and then it's like so tense during that scene mm-hmm. with Jamie Foxx too, and it's like, "Dude, this is like I think that's why she was used in that one. That's why I didn't have an issue with it. Yeah. Right? But it's definitely not the strongest point of the movie. No, yeah. And uh, again, like, just with juggling, like, the movies, um, not to take away anything away from Baby Driver, because I highly recommend it. I really love this movie. I am going to own it eventually. If you haven't seen it, go see it. But I feel like my number one and number two movie picks, I felt like the themes, like, I, like transcended more the themes of, of this movie, not to take away from the originality of baby driver and the way it was filmed. It's a, another beautiful film. Um, really, I could juggle my top three films and like their places would change sporadically because I, I those are the three films that I felt really captivated me this year. And if I'm truly defining my 2017 year, it'd be those three fucking movies. And I think Baby Driver for me, um, the mu- the music is what what defined that movie to me. Like everything that incorporated all of that, the driving uh, sequences were great um, and was was the most memorable to me. The characters were very funny, um, and they played you know Jamie Foxx, like you said, John Hamm, all played really well um, with their characters and played a little different as well. Um, but like Marco was saying, you know, there's there's some some aspects of it that I'll remember. Um, but for me, it, it is the music, and that's um, yeah. I that really just told me that's what's kept me into it. It's like everything um, tied it. The music was the movie, and everything else was was working around that. 
So there it is, guys. That's our top 10 picks of 2017. Uh, we'll also have a, um, a list on the description here. So if you want to just read it, because I know we're in a way jumbled on this one. So you might not remember my number seven, but hmm. now you will, because you can read it. We'll have it there for you. Uh, last little thing here before we go. What are your guys' t- most anticipated films of 2018? And don't tell me why, just, or you can, but I mean, just let's give me the three of them, starting with Marco. Black Panther definitely is one of them. Nice. Um, Ready Player One. Very nice, yeah. And man, this is, this is tough. There's a lot. I'm going to give you, man, all right, I'll give you three. And uh, Annihilation. There, there are definitely much more that I wanted to mention, but I'll give you to those three. Okay. <laughs> Apparently, there's a lot of films uh, people are anticipating. There's And there's quite a few, but I'll tell you some of the more obscure ones um, that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, one is Mary, Queen of Scots, um, which uh, is going to be uh, Saoirse Ronan and uh, Margot Robbie are going to be in that film. That's the end of the pod, guys. So we'll see you anyway, next week. It looks great. Uh, it what? sounds great from what, what it's going to be. It's going to come out later in the year. Is it a Russian uh, ballet? Look no, it up. It, look it up, Marco. Scotland. I'm Mary looking at it right now. It's great. Bohemian Rhapsody, for sure. Oh, yes. I'm looking forward to that. That's yeah. going to yes. be a great film. Um, and also an animated film, uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I yeah. think um, I saw the trailer for that not too long ago. It showed up um, end of uh, December. Um, and I'm really intrigued in seeing how they're going to uh, take that storyline of the Spider Verse and uh, put that in uh, in a movie. So, God, I want to list off like forty movies right now. <laughs> um, Solo, a Star Wars film. I'm yes. looking forward to that one. Yeah, I hope we get a trailer soon because it comes out in four months. Mm, I know, right? Um, Finally, get Lando. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, Fantastic Beasts: The Crimes of Grindelwald looks like it's going to be really good too. I really like the first one, and um, if we're going to go random here, it's between two. Um, God Particle. I really want to see that one. Oh, yeah. That's uh, Cloverfield 3. Mm-hmm. It got pushed, oh, though. Oh, yes. So, yeah. once again, I hope you see a trailer on that. And you know what? I'm going to do four. Fuck it. Venom 2. So, I'm looking forward to that. Yep. Come on, Tom Hardy. Don't disappoint me. Uh, then I will add uh, <laughs> Avengers Infinity War. I see your Venom and raise this. Yeah, Incredibles I, 2. Um, <laughs> a little uh, fun there, guys. So, that is our top movies and our... Uh, anticipated films there of course we have a ton we're looking forward to and we hope you keep listening throughout the year because we're going to keep nailing those down uh once again thank you so much guys this has been um really fun so far the last couple months here since uh we officially started in august uh once again keep the feedback and response just like marco said scott uh recommended he asked us hey can you guys review bright and we were like we truthfully probably weren't gonna review it (laughs) i didn't even think about it but because of all the negativity toward it but thanks scott but um i enjoyed it scott thanks now you know um (laughs) they're gonna be hit or misses but we'll definitely listen to you guys and we appreciate it we will we as much as i'm saying like but you know what fuck it we will watch what you tell us to watch at this point um so not sounding desperate or anything (laughs) we're not sounding desperate but i'm just saying (laughs) please retweet this goddamn thing Okay, so uh, Marco, can you let them know uh, where we can be found? Uh, absolutely. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash moviepalspod. And you can also follow us on Twitter at moviepalspod. We're also still doing our giveaway of our free Rick and Morty comment, comic. So if you guys want to win this, again, retweet or share any of our episodes. Tag a friend you think would enjoy the pod. 
or you don't have to. Uh, if not, you can recommend a topic to us. Mention us in a topic uh, in a comment or tweet and recommend a show that you can that you'd like us to review and hashtag it MoviePalsPod. Or simply just use our handle hashtag MoviePalsPod in order to win a hardcover comic of Rick and Morty. By now, you must be fiending for some Rick and Morty, and this comic should hold you off until Season 4 finally arrives. The comic was provided by none other than our sweet hero, John Harder, owner of Waterfront Comics. All right, and um, kind of a toss-up for our next film here next week. uh, Two weeks, sorry. Uh, So we're going to be doing a review of The Post and possibly another film. Yeah. TBD. It might be a twofer. But just to let you guys know, we will have a new section... A little segment, actually, on our next pod where each one of us will be recommending a movie to each other and kind of a feedback and why we did it. We'll explain more of that next time, so make sure to tune on in. But until next time, this is James. And Marco. And Abil. And have a good one.